Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast, where as a church, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So if you're at home, work, or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend worship experience. We'd love for you to stay connected with us by visiting us at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. Thanks for being with us, and we really hope you enjoy this message. Have you been enjoying this message series? All right. Have we put anybody in therapy? I hope, I, I hope so. I hope so. If you needed to get there, I hope you went there. Um, our series, Death Defying, it's been heavy. We've been exploring the topic of, of death. And the good news is this Sunday is the last Sunday we'll spend speaking about death. Because next Sunday, as our series comes to a conclusion, we're going to be speaking about where death ends which is the resurrection, which is what Easter is about. Um, but today, we are closing out our topic on death, death defying. And I got to begin with a bit of a confession. I've got a confession to make. I think it's healthy that, uh, that we confess. And, and uh, my confession is that lately, I find myself, and maybe you can relate, being more, uh, how else can I say, I guess being discouraged more easily than I am usually discouraged being stressed more quickly than I usually get stressed. I guess another way of saying it is I'm getting annoyed more often than I usually do. And I can't tell if it's because I'm getting tired or I'm getting old. Not really sure. Maybe it's a combination of both. Sometimes what gets to me are the criticisms of people. And I know that they shouldn't, but sometimes they do. Sometimes what gets to me are the current events happening internationally all over the world, the things happening in Europe with Ukraine and Russia. And you should know that because of your generosity, we've been able to give meal packs, we've been able to give hygiene packets for over and counting 140,000 people plus through the Ministry of Convoy of Hope and your generosity, refugees have been receiving those services. Thank you, Journey Church. Sometimes I find that all of this feeling comes from truly my own shortcomings because I am a perfectionist by nature. Are there any perfectionists in the church today? You would know then if you are one that it oftentimes hurts you more than it helps you. I'm my worst critic. I'm my worst enemy. Add on top of that, stock market, inflation, gas prices. Add on top of that, that my wife drives a Jeep. Add on top of that, that we have an insanely fast-growing church, and that my kids are still in virtual school, God help us. On a good day, I can tell you what I feel is worry. On a bad day, I can tell you what I feel is anxiety. And if that doesn't surprise you, that confession, because you're like, yeah, me too, maybe what would surprise you is that in those moments, I am encouraged by what has traditionally been considered the most discouraging verse in all of the Bible. Now, that should have a little asterisk next to it because truly there are no discouraging verses in the Bible. But this one, <laughs> this one's a little heavy. This one's a little hard. This one's a little confusing. This is the Bible verse you read and you go, I don't know. Somebody slipped that one in there. That one made it through editing. That one made it through the editing process. Should have been cut out. It has been considered by those who have read it the most depressing verse in the Bible. But I believe that at the end of our time together in just 30 minutes, what was the most depressing Bible verse you've ever read is going to turn into the most encouraging Bible verse you've ever read. Ecclesiastes 
chapter 12, verse 6. King Solomon, the son of David, is writing this near the end of his life. You can tell that because he's starting to think about death. Yes, remember your creator now while you are young. He's saying, y'all young, I'm old. Before the silver cord of life snaps and the golden bowl is broken. Don't wait until the water jar is smashed at the spring and the pulley is broken at the well. For then, this is how you know he's talking about death. For then the dust will return to the earth and the spirit will return to God who gave it. (laughs) Here comes verse 8. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Completely meaningless. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right. Now, you might wonder how meaningless, meaningless, completely and utterly meaningless can encourage your pastor. And uh, I'll just share a quick story that gives you the kind of perspective that changes the meaning of that verse to you and to me, hopefully to you, definitely to me. Many of you know how our church got started and, and just my life. I'm very open about some things that I've went through. And uh, seven years ago, my wife and I uh, lost a child seven hours after being born. And uh, it was a very dramatic moment for us. Um, if you've come to this church for any amount of time, you know that story. Uh, just prepare to hear that story often, just by the way, FYI. It's my life story. Shaped who we become. What many of you don't know is that two weeks after we lost our child, I went to go hear one of my friends preach at a big event. He invited me. He was speaking to the largest amount of people he had ever spoken to and thousands of people. And he wanted me to go support and shout him down and things like that. So I said, yeah, I'll go. So I went. And this friend of mine was a tremendous communicator, just spoke really well, very smart, very intelligent. And for the first time in my life, and I had heard him preach a hundred times, honestly, but that would be underestimating. For the first time in my life, I saw him preach and he was nervous. I could tell how he was stuttering through his words, how he fumbled through the pages of his Bible. I could tell how he kept his eyes on his notes, didn't make eye contact as he wasn't sure what slides would come up next and and tried his very best to deliver. He was nervous because it was such a large crowd and there was many influential people in the crowd. Being one of those people in the crowd, having just had my son pass away, I couldn't help but, and maybe this was bad of me, I don't know, I just couldn't help but look at that moment and be like, I can tell you're nervous, but bro, you're not dying. The people you love, they're still alive. Like, so what if they don't like what you have to say? You're going to walk home and you're going to kiss your wife. You're going to be good. I had this like, I wasn't like wanting to downplay what he was going through, but I had this moment of like reflection and perspective. Like if you've ever seen someone die, that just puts everything in perspective, no matter what it is that you're facing. So I actually had to live that test out a few years later. It was our very... It was three Easter's ago at Journey Church. We were still meeting at Winter Park High School. And it was the first Sunday we would ever pass 1,000 people in attendance. And I remember, because back then we had the backstage, backstage, like on the stage. I remember peeking out from the curtain and looking out, and the seats were full, and the service hadn't even started yet. That had never happened in our church. Usually they don't show up to like the second or third song. Some of y'all still don't show up to the second or third song. But it was like countdown, and it was packed. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be the biggest crowd I've ever preached to here at Journey Church. And I was so nervous. And in that moment, I remembered my friend preaching to those people. So I pulled out my phone. And on my phone, I had a video of my son. 
before they filled him up with the tubes and before they put him on the life support and all of that. Was, he just, just had just come out of the womb and, uh, and he was there and he had big eyes and, and, I, and I looked at that because I needed some perspective for what I was about to step out into. That's a big deal, what I'm about to step out into. Preaching to thousands of people, that's a big deal. But I've seen harder. I've endured harder. I've experienced tougher and, and whether these people come back to church or not, I still got, I lost this boy, but I got two other boys at home. I'm going to be okay. No matter who doesn't come back next Sunday, my two boys are coming back. They have to. They're coming back next Sunday. It put things into perspective. This is the title of my message today. And this is the most helpful message in the entire series. R-I-P, rest in perspective. Rest in perspective. I mean what I'm saying. This is the most, I told Liz when I was getting ready for this message, I said, I think this is the most helpful message I've preached in a long time. I'm going to vent on this message because I live this message. I've had a lot of anxiety wrestled with the last couple of years. This message I'm about to preach to you is going to help you worry, stress, doubt, fear, anxiety. And it all begins with the idea of a principle. Embrace this principle. It's the principle of subjective perspective. Subjective perspective. And what that principle means is that things only look big or small depending on if they're next to something that is big or small. So my wife sometimes, when I take my shirt off in the bathroom, she'll be like, dang, babe, your biceps be popping. She goes, she's never used this word in a sentence before, but she's like, I like your peck. The pecs, you know, she's like, I like your just chest muscles. I like your, you look so big. And I'm just like, and I just, I can't believe it because I can't let my head get big. Yeah. Then I'll stop working out. So, but in case I'm ever in danger of getting big headed, don't worry. Because I also go to the gym. And no matter how big you think you are, when you get to the gym, there's always somebody who's bigger. I go in there flexing, and there's a guy next to me just walking normal. His arms are the size of my head, and I'm just like, it's not, I'm not that big. I'm <laughs> just not that big. Uh, not even that strong. I think I'm strong. And then the other day, Pastor Liz would tell you, there was a girl who was half my size, squatting twice my weight. You want to feel small, work out next to that lady right there. I was like, well, okay, I'm just going to put that back. I'll just work on my there girls over here, and just it didn't. It, it felt big in the moment, but through the principle of subjective perspective, I realized it was actually yeah. small. Are you tracking me? That can help you. It can help you stay humble. It can also help you stay calm. Uh, the principle of subjective perspective. Uh, I've got to preach five sermons, five services next week. That sounds like a lot. But four weeks ago at my friend's church, Adam Victory Family in Oklahoma, I preached to six. Yeah. And they were back to back to back to back to back. Like I preached one and then the auditorium for the next group was connected to the auditorium I was in. So I said, amen. Then I walked across the hallway and as I said, amen there, they were introducing me on the other side. I did that six times. So then when I finally came home, I said, babe, I think I could do five. I think I could do five because I just did six. Are you seeing how this works? The principle of subjective perspective helped me stay calm. I think it helps you stay dreaming. That church has 6,000 members. I think... 
sometimes I look at us and what God has done here at Journey Church through you, with the dream team and your generosity and the worship and all of that. And our church now meets regularly 1,500 people. And I got to be honest, sometimes I feel like, okay, God, you did it. I'm done. Bring in the next guy. I'll retire. This is, I mean, this is as great as it's ever going to get in my life. But then when I see what God can do in someone else's life, it keeps me dreaming for what he can do in this life. I thought this was big. God's not even getting started with Orlando with what he wants to do through Journey Church. It's the principle of subjective perspective. It can also, it can also keep you grateful. Wealth is very subjective. Very subjective. Like, I don't think anybody in this room today would say, I am very wealthy. I am like, I am like, guys, I am like wealthy. Very wealthy. Like, like my dog has butlers. Like, I'm wealthy. I don't think anybody in this room is that, is that well. And if you are, meet me in the back because we're trying to buy this building and we could use some help. <laughs> if it ain't nothing to you, we could use some help here as you try and purchase this building. But, but for all of those who feel like you're not wealthy, wealth is subjective. Do you know that if you are in the top 5% of American income, that is you make $300 a month or less, but $300 a month, you are in the top 30th percent richest people in the entire world. That's like not even Social Security. Like Social Security will get you more than $300 a month. If you're just living on that in the woods somewhere, you're in the top 30% richest people in the entire world. Why? Because wealth is subjective is subjective. That can make you feel grateful, a lot better about where you are in life. The same principle that applies to your wealth, the same principle that applies to your business, to your growth, hear me, try applying it to your problems. Put your problems next to someone else's problems. And sometimes all of a sudden your problems don't look as big as they once looked. One day I came home from church. I was very stressed out because our deadline had just passed on the lease for this building. We didn't know what God was going to do. We still don't know what God's going to do. We're here. Amen. We don't know what God's going to do. And I came home and I was really stressed and I was really problemed about it. It's a word. No, it's not, but just word of me. Problematic. Problematized. I was troubled. And I heard Zane. Zane was crying on the first floor and he, he was crying. He had just gotten a Game Boy Advance which this is like, not, they haven't remade it. This is like the one from 2000, Game Boy Advance, 22 years old. This thing is old school, man. Like you need to put a flashlight on the screen in order to see what's happening on the screen because it doesn't get lit up from the back like that. Like he literally can't play it unless the sun's out, you know. And, uh, and he got a, a new game on it. It was an old game for me. It was Pokemon. And uh, I played that when I was a kid. So I would encourage him. And he was trying to catch them all and he, you know, and all that. But it's an older game, which means it didn't save automatically. So it shut off on him mid-playing, and he lost all of his progress, 40 hours worth of progress on that game. And, uh, and he came upstairs crying, 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 said, Dad, I've lost all my Pokemon. Now, to be fair, I know what that's like, because I was a kid and I played that game. So that was a lot of time, but you had all the Charizards and the Blastoises and all of that, and try translating that on the Spanish ministry. <laughs> Blastoise. Um, and... Uh, and uh, and um, he was very, very emotional. So, but I can't tell you, listen, I wanted to tell him so badly. I wanted to tell my son so badly. I wish I had your problems. Son, I wanted, son, take all my Pokemon. 
and, and you take this building. Like, I wish I had your problem, son, but I can't do that to him. I had to pastor him and father him. Here's what else I didn't tell him. Okay, but did you die? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's not helpful either. Yeah. But did you die? I'm not telling you, by the way, to take every problem you go through and compare it to your pulse and be like, it's not that big a deal. No, that's not, I don't want to minimize what you're going through or discard your pain either. But here's what I did do. I said, listen, man, because in our house, we have a rule where you can't play the next game until you beat the last game. And so I said, you know what, bro? You got a new game downstairs that you haven't played yet. I bet you can get on that game and beat that game even faster than this one. Why don't you just shut off that game and go on to the next one? What I did for him was very simple. I shifted his perspective. I showed him that that was not the last game, that there was another game. And that one day he'll beat that game. In other words, this is not the end. And in the end, this will not matter. In the end, that right there will not matter. If I could summarize my sermon in a question, in a question, this would be my sermon. In a question, at the end of my life, will that matter? At the end of my life, Will that matter? If you just leave with that question, I promise you your anxiety levels, your stress levels, your pain levels, your worry levels, your doubt levels, your fear levels, all of that will drop if you internalize this. When Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes, it's important to know when in life he wrote it. He wrote it at the end of his life, which means he had already become king. And looking back on his kingship, looked back and determined, you know what? It didn't even matter, which he was right about because in the very next generation, his son would lose the throne. So all of that thing that he held on to, he lost with his kid Rehoboam, lost it like that. It's, it's sad how many people will spend their entire lives, although I can relate, chasing titles, trying to be the boss, going after the promotion, when at the end of your life, what will not matter is who sits on the throne of your company. What matters is who sits on the throne of your heart. The title that you will carry into eternity will not be Grammy nominated or Oscar award winning. Nobody remembers who won the Oscar last year. We might not forget who won it this year. <laughs> Ever. But nobody remembers who won it last year. Here's the only title you will carry into eternity. Good and faithful servants. Matthew 25. When you stand before the Lord and he says, well done. I know you didn't win a Grammy on earth, but here's a crown for you right here in eternity. I know you didn't win an Oscar on earth, but here's a crown for you in eternity. It's the only title that'll matter in your life. Solomon wrote this after he got educated. He was so learned. He studied botany. He studied architecture. He studied astronomy. He, he studied history. He was such a smart person, yet he wasn't smart enough to realize that maybe marrying 700 wives is not the best thing. And he got in a lot of trouble because of that. Listen, I, I'm just, I want to encourage anybody who didn't go to the dream school, anybody who didn't get the diploma that you, that you wanted, anybody who hides their community college diploma off to the side, like it's not real. It's real. You just paid one-tenth the price for it. Then they'll let go you, okay? But for all those people who maybe didn't graduate even college, let me tell you, and this is coming from an educated person. I've got three master's degrees. Before this, I taught in a university. So I'm all pro-education. So don't be offended if you're a teacher or you work for school or anything like that. But all of us secretly know, and we're going to tell you right now, your diploma, it don't matter. 
What matters is what you do with that diploma. What matters is what you do with that degree. I know poor people living in mansions and I know rich people living in affordable housing or educated people living in affordable housing. It's what you do with it that matters. So, so even the education aspect, you got to apply it. Uh, I, Solomon wrote this after being wealthy. He was the richest man, some people believe, in human history. Let me put it into context, subjective perspective. The richest man today, his name is Elon Musk. He has $300 billion. That's his net worth. $300 billion. That's a lot of money. Elon, if you're watching. You know how rich Solomon was? $2.1 trillion. Just, just, just how do we do that? Just by the amount of gold that he said that he owned at the time of his death compared to the value of gold today, 2.1 trillion, that's seven times richer than the richest man on earth today. And having all that money, he wrote, meaningless, meaningless, everything's meaningless. Because money can buy you a lot of things, but there's two things in life that will not negotiate with you for money. One is death. Just ask Steve Jobs and Walt Disney, two men who both died of cancer, which means that they couldn't buy a doctor good enough. They couldn't afford a medicine good enough. And the other one that won't negotiate with you is life because you can't buy happiness and you can't purchase peace. I'm going to give you a list of things that don't matter. (laughs) Is that all right? You're either going to be depressed by the end of this summer, you're going to be so free. Let me encourage you. Are you ready? These are a bunch of things that don't matter. Your failures won't matter. At the end of your life, your failures won't matter as long as you fail at the right things. Let me put this more practical. It's okay to fail at work. Just don't fail at home. Listen, sometimes you're going to have weeks where you cannot give 100% to your job and your family because there's just too much going on. And it's not a time management issue. And it's not a productivity issue. It's a life issue. Kids get sick. The work at the work at work piles up. You're not going to be able to give your best to both on those weeks when you have to decide who will get the lease. Choose work. I'd rather my boss be mad than my kids be mad. I'd rather my boss be mad than my wife be mad. I'd rather disappoint my boss than disappoint my parents because I'm gonna have another boss. I'm not gonna have another mom, another dad, another sister, another son or daughter, another spouse. That's so. If you're gonna. We had a, a church person come, a church person, what does that mean? We had a church consultant, a church consultant. This is the person who does church. That's why I call them church person. Look at our service last Sunday. He loved it. He loved it. He had a bunch of feedback. One of his feedbacks to us was, I've never saw a church that runs this way. And he works with hundreds of churches. I said, what do you mean? He goes, you only require your staff to come in on Mondays and Thursdays. I said, yeah. He goes, no other church in America does that. I was like, I went home to Liz. I was like, babe, I think we're doing it wrong. <laughs> she said, yeah, but it's working. That's right. See, we made a decision early on that we were not going to have, we were not going to be led by people who put ministry before family. Wow. Because we believe that if you're healthy, healthy things grow. So if our staff is healthy, our church will be healthy. And then it'll grow and we'll see God's hand in it. Also, listen, it's okay to fail, just don't believe you're a failure. It's okay to fail, just don't believe you're a failure. Put it on the screen. I need to be very clear about this. When you fail, when you sin, when you choose bad things and make bad decisions and make bad choices, you hurt people around you. Your consequences, your actions have consequences. Those consequences will not just affect people around you, they'll affect you. But the devil doesn't win when he hurts you. The devil wins when he beats you. And he doesn't beat you if you fall down. He beats you if you stay down. So what you can't allow is your failure to become your narrative. 
for your mistake to become your identity. You need to continuously find your identity in Christ as I made a bad choice, but I am not my choice. I made a bad decision, but I am not my decision. I am not those things. Your failures won't matter. Anybody encouraged? Yeah. Amen. Well, this next one might discourage you. Your success won't matter. <laughs> your failures won't matter and your success won't matter. I look at this church and how amazing it is and how many people call it home now. And you would say, well, Pastor JJ, you and the staff and the church, you guys have accomplished a great thing. What a success. But would it be a success if at the end of it all I lost my wife? Would it be a success if at the end of it all I committed so much here that she decided to leave me or I got so involved in this that, I, that, that we ended up having a divorce because I ended up cheating on somebody? If I ended up cheating on my wife, do you think anybody would remember me for this? Wow, that's so true. Do you think this is what they'll talk about when they talk about JJ's life and his impact on the world? All of that would be crumpled up like it is right now for certain pastors in the world. Every good that they did in the garbage for bad choices that they made, just thrown away. I want to win at the right things. I want to be successful at the right things. Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Paul said, I don't want to succeed in ministry if succeeding in ministry means I get disqualified from salvation myself. They understood that what really matters is not succeeding in this world, but succeeding in the next. Succeeding with your family, succeeding with your calling, succeeding with your purpose. This ought to encourage you. Your critics won't matter. At the end of your life, your critics will not matter. So don't even give them the time of day. I was watching ESPN and I was listening to Stephen A. Smith. Now, I would never usually call out somebody, but our church isn't big enough yet that he's watching. Yet. He ain't watching yet. Nobody tag Stephen A. on this, okay? But, but, but I, I heard him say, because, you know, LeBron and the Lakers got eliminated from the playoffs last week. And I saw him on his, on his thing, and he was saying, this has closed the door in my mind. LeBron will never be the GOAT, MJ. LeBron will never be the GOAT, greatest of all time. Which, I don't mind if you have that opinion, but for him to say that in those words, in that moment, I'm like, the only people you're fooling, Stephen A., are the people who are watching you for the first time. Because I remember watching you two years ago when LeBron won the championship in Orlando in the middle of a pandemic, and when he won the championship, you said... There is nothing he can ever do to become the greatest player of all time. In my mind, he's not the greatest of all time. You're making it seem like now he's done something, but you were never going to be on his side. I wrote it like this. Don't let people who were never going to support you ever affect you. They were never going to be on your side. They were never going to cheer you on. They were never going to encourage you. So if those voices are not going to be there at the end of your life, why give them a seat at the table now? And then, and then last week, I was looking at last week's sermon on YouTube, and I went through the comment section. Won't do that again. Somebody put in the comments, it was like the fourth comment, not that I was counting. I can't remember if it was a guy or a girl. It was a guy. Check this account. Uh, he, he, wrote, he wrote in the comments, by the way, last week's sermon was how to die full. How to die full. How to die. He wrote in the comments, money grubbing church. What? So I'm just like, man, what did I say? So I went through the whole sermon. This is how much control that person had over my life. I went through the whole sermon. I did not say the word money one time in the whole sermon. So that means that he didn't even know what the message was about. But he already had an opinion. Don't let people who don't know you define you. 
Don't let them. I'm all for feedback. If I say something unbiblical, if I preach something that's all, I'm all for it. But if you don't know me, don't come for me. Because you don't know my story. And don't take five seconds of a message. Anyway, I'm just going to be presenting. Your critics won't matter. They won't matter. You know what else won't matter? (laughs) Your popularity won't matter. (laughs) We put a lot of value on social media and on followers. And I'm not going to knock it. I thank you. We got members of our church that got hundreds of thousands of people that follow. And they post about Journey. And I'm grateful for you. People are coming to Jesus because you're posting. I'm just saying, let's just put it in perspective. It won't matter. Let me introduce you to somebody. Go put that on the screen. Don't play yet. I'll get you in a second. But I expected that response. Aww. You know who this is? He's cute, right? How many of you, raise your hand if you know who this is. See, see, some of the young cats know. Okay. This isn't just a dog. No, no, no. Go ahead, show the account. This is at Jif Pong. <laughs> 10 million followers. 9.8 million followers. Y'all, I preach the gospel every day. I help people find their purpose in life. I show them how to get out of hell, how to restore their relationships, how to, how to you know, make the best of life. He got 100,000 times more followers than I have, and he's a dog. And, and we don't even know if he's a good dog. For all we know, he could be ripping up pillows, peeing on the couch. We don't know. Got 10 million followers. I'm just saying, I'm just trying to put popularity in perspective. This is what we care about? That's what we get our value from? Can I put popularity in perspective for you? You know what today is, the day in Christian history? Palm Sunday. Do you remember what Palm Sunday was? Palm Sunday was the day where hundreds of people grabbed palm branches and worshiped Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's the one that's going to save the world. He's awesome. Jesus was never more popular than on Palm Sunday. But five days later, the same people that were shouting, uh, 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 Hosea, Hosanna, Hosanna, were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. That's how important popularity is, that the people who follow you today will cancel you tomorrow. So we're not going to put my stock in popularity. You know what else what doesn't matter? Here, your fears won't matter. The things you're afraid about today at the end of your life, they won't matter. They won't matter. I took um, Justice to, uh, there was only one ride left he had not been to in Disney World. And it was a rock and roller coaster. Rock and roller coaster from Hollywood Studios. For those who don't know, because they're not here in Orlando, uh, we have a park. It's called Disney. And uh, <laughs> the fastest roller coaster in the park is, is rock and roller coaster. It's the most aggressive one. And he had no problem with it until he found out that there was a loop-de-loop in it. Justice don't like loop-de-loops. Like most human beings, being upside down is uncomfortable. And so he said, I don't want to do it. 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 Dad, please don't make me do it now. I don't know what your philosophy of parenting is. And I just, I just want to, I'm not going to judge your philosophy of parenting. I got friends who parent their kids a certain way. I'm just going to tell you, and I don't even know if this is biblical. I'm just going to tell you my philosophy for parenting. Don't do as I say or do as I do. Just what I do. He's getting on that ride. Just my, I don't know if you did that to me, dad, when I was a kid or not, but I just... That's just my, the way I'm doing it. And so we're getting on the line. And as we're getting closer and closer, it's getting, it's getting bad, guys. He's, he's, he's crying. As we're getting closer 
it's, it's turned into a full-on hyperventilation. So now it's not just crying. Now he's, and I'm just like, I'm going to kill my kid. I'm going to kill my kid. The whole time I'm doing it, I'm like, Lord, please just don't let him be traumatized to this. Lord, he might end up in counseling because of this. I don't know. And then at the peak of his hyperventilation, when he's sitting in the roller coaster, I lock him in. Now nah, he's strapped. He's like, no, dad, please, no, dad, no. I was like, oh, my God, this is the worst parent ever. Me. And the thing goes off, and I'm just the whole roller coaster. I'm rubbing his knee, the whole roller coaster. We're doing loop-de-loops. We're going down like, it's okay, buddy. I'm right here. You know? He's all, Hush. Ride gets over. Thing pops up. I look at him. I'm just like, please be alive. Please be alive. Please be alive. He looks at me, I go, so what do you think? He goes, that was awesome. Save me some therapy bills right there. And then I asked him this question. Y'all can play. I asked him this question. I said, what was your takeaway from this experience? What was the lesson that you learned from this? And I thought for sure he was going to say, try new things. Because that was the lesson I was trying to teach him. Try new things. Try new things. You never know. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. Try new things. But he didn't. And when he gave me his answer, it almost made me cry. I said, what was the lesson you learned? He looked at me. He said, to trust dad. Because daddy would never put me through something that would hurt me. If he puts me through something, it's to teach me a lesson and to help me get better. I was like, (laughs) I just want you to know, I know you might feel like you're in the middle of a loop-de-loop right now but you got a good daddy and you can trust your daddy. And if he puts you through something, you can trust him. It's not to destroy him. Whatever you're scared about in the middle of your roller coaster ride, call life. Whatever, just know if he strapped you in, he's going to get you out. And it's to produce something inside of you. My God is a good, good dad. That's why I don't just rest in perspective, I rest in perspective of his promises. I rest in his promises. Rest in his promises. Put it on the screen. Ecclesiastes, I'm about to give you a bunch of Bible verses in three minutes. Get ready. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 through 14. When all has been heard, this is what matters. Are you ready? King Solomon, who said, nothing matters. It's all meaningless. He goes, at the end of life, this is what matters. Fear God. What does that mean? Worship him with all-filled reverence, knowing that he's almighty God and keep his commandments. For this applies to every person. For God, I love verse 14, will bring every act to judgment, every hidden and secret thing, whether it is good or evil. In other words, Solomon is saying, I figured out what really matters, following God and following God's word, because God always comes through. He will, at the end, put it to, in the end, he's going to make it work out. In the end, he's going to keep me safe. In the end, he's going to bless me. In the end, he's going to protect me. I rest in his promises. I know, I know, I know how this turns out, because he promised Here are three things God promises. Number one, God promises purpose. You know, the antidote for pain is purpose. Knowing that I'm going through it for a reason. 
I don't mind you stick me with a needle if in that needle is the cure that I need for my disease. Purpose numbs the pain, or at least helps me endure it. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his what? His purpose. God doesn't just promise purpose. You can rest in this. God promises justice. Justice. Every wrong that is wrong that has been wrong to you, every wrong in this world will be righted. Romans 12, 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Sometimes I look at everything that's going on in the world, all the people who did me wrong, all the people who hurt me, the craziness going on in other parts of the world, and I can rest in the fact that I don't got to make it right. God will make it right in the end. I trust. I'll do what I can do. I'll give to the refugee crisis. I'm going to encourage. I'm going to be nice. But when things outside of my control are outside of my control, I know that God will bring justice in the end. And here's a good one. The last one. God promises mercy. Wherever you've been, whatever you've done this week, whatever you've come from in life, I want you to know that God promises you mercy. Isaiah chapter 54, verse 10. For the mountains may move and the hills disappear, but even then, my faithful love for you will remain. My covenant of blessing will never be broken, says the Lord, who has what? Mercy on you. He promises you that you are never too far gone for a second chance. Think about the thief who hung on the cross to the right of Jesus, consumed with guilt, consumed both with external and internal pain. He's got nails in both hands, nails in his feet. He's got external pain, but he's also got the internal pain of shame of a life wasted. And he looks over at Jesus, convinced that he's the son of God, puts his faith in him and says, will you remember me when you get to heaven? And Jesus looks at the man on the cross and says, truly, I tell you, Luke 23, 43, put it on the screen. Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me. In what? That's my final point. Rest in paradise. In paradise. In the heaven that we know awaits us one day. I want to do a little sermon illustration with you, and then we'll, we'll call it a day. I'm going to need your help, though, to participate. On the count of three, I would like for everyone into the room, in the room, to blink. Right? I need, you, I need you to give your best blink. All right? On three, we're going to all blink together. One, two, three. That's good. Okay. Did you see it? Did you see it? You missed it? I'll try one more time. You got to blink better. You got to blink better. On three, we'll give it one more go. I would love everyone to blink on three. One, two. Did you see it? No, you missed it again? Let me explain. Do you know how long it takes you to blink? One-tenth of a second, 100 milliseconds to be exact. So maybe that's why you missed it. Because in one-tenth of a second, everything went dark. For one-tenth of a second, you couldn't see what was coming. For one-tenth of a second, you couldn't see where you were going. For one-tenth of a second, darkness consumed your life. But you almost didn't feel it because it only lasted one-tenth of a second. At the most, you live a hundred years, you and me. Right? I mean, unless you're really crushing it. At 109? I don't know. However long you live, put the length of your life, are you ready? 
in the context of eternity. How long is life when you use the subjective perspective of eternity? I'll tell you how long it is. So no matter how dark your life is right now, remember what awaits you when you open your eyes for the last time. 1 Corinthians 15, 52, it'll take only a what? As quickly as an eye blinks when the last trumpet sounds. The trumpet will sound. The trumpet will sound. And then those who died will be raised to live forever and we will all be what? All of it. Division, racism, envy, insecurity, inflation, international affairs, pandemics, variants, every tear, trial, and test in the moment, God. And on that day, when you and I are in paradise, we'll find each other. And we are going to struggle to recall how we ever thought, surrounded by our loved ones, covered by the glory of God, we are going to struggle to recall how we ever thought any of that mattered. And I think on that day, someone will quote Solomon. On that day, someone, one of y'all will look at me and, and you'll laugh and you'll go, <laughs> you'll look back at it all, everything that kept you up at night, everything that made you cry during the day, everything that stole your peace and your joy, here's what you'll say on that day. Meaningless, meaningless. It was all meaningless. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I know you're heavy today. You've got weight, you've got burden, you've got fear, you've got worry, you've got anxiety, you've got stress. But in the context of Jesus, in the context of eternity, in the, in the subjective perspective of grace and mercy, I pray that you would catch the revelation. Meaningless, meaningless. It's all meaningless compared to you, Jesus. If that's you, just begin to let go of your worry right now. If that's you, begin to release that fear right now. Begin to release that doubt right now. You got a good daddy. You got a good daddy. He got your back. You got a good daddy. He's going to watch you and guide you and lead you and be with you and care for you. You've got a good father. And if you're in this room today and you are far from God, you have no relationship with Jesus, but you want to start today. You want to jump into this thing called faith. You want to build your house on the rock, which is Jesus. Then on the count of three, I want you all over this room to raise your right hand. And here's what you're meaning when you're raising your right hand. You're raising Jesus. I need to give you a shot because none of this works it's meaningless in you is where I find purpose in you is where I find meaning all over this building if that's you on three nobody's looking it's between you and the Lord and who cares if they are their opinions are meaningless it's what you need right now you need Jesus all over this building if that's you on three one two three shoot your right hand high at Jesus I need you come on I see too many hands to count all over the building I see you I see you praise God for your courage praise God for your courage praise God for your courage go ahead and put your hand down if you raised your hand and even if you didn't, I want you to shout this prayer out to the Lord. Would you say all over this room, Father God, it's meaningless. But today, I find meaning in you. I give you my worry. Come on, tell him, I give you my doubt. I give you my sin. 
I give you my past. I give you my behavior. I give you my faith and trust. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. From this day forward, I repent and turn to you. In your name I pray. We hope you've enjoyed this message, and we would love to hear your story and how this ministry is changing your life. Please email us at amen at journeyorl.com. And if you would like to support financially, you can give online at journeyorl.com give. If you're in the area, join us on Sunday for the full experience. Have a blessed week.